Welcome to this episode of Blended, Blessed, and Always a Mess. I'm Eric. And I'm Angie. We are married with a ton of kids. We have six kids total. He has three and I have three. My name's Hallie and I love riding horses. I'm Lexi and I love agriculture. My name's Carter and I love eating. My name's Chase and I love lifting weights. My name's Summer and I love spending my parents' money. I'm Dane and I love baseball. Our show is about our blended, blessed, and always a mess life. And our hope is if you find yourself in the same situation we are in, that by sharing our story, all the fun, and all the mess, challenges we are experiencing, it will give you some inspirations, laughs, and community, knowing you are not alone in this mess. We appreciate you spending time with us. Let's dive in. Welcome to this week's episode of Blended, Blessed, and Always a Mess. And you may remember last year, we had a two-part episode with our friend Lynn Rausch, who is a counselor, certified counselor with the Crossing Church here in Columbia. And over the past several months, her and her colleague John have started a new podcast through the church called With You in the Weeds. If you've not heard it, it's really, really good. You can find them on Instagram, Facebook, and you can listen to the podcast on all your favorite platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever that might be. A couple of weeks back, Lynn returned the favor after we had had her as a guest on our podcast and asked Angie if she would be a guest on a series that they were doing called Managing Difficult People. And they talked about the warning signs, the relationship red flags that we've talked about a little bit before. I think if you'll just take a little bit of time today, you're going to find that this is an incredible episode and the insight that Lynn is able to give as Angie walks through our journey can be helpful for a lot of people. So we hope that you'll enjoy this week's episode of Blended, Blessed, and Always a Mess, Angie's visit with Lynn on her podcast, With You in the Weeds. I'm glad this episode is finally happening. Um, We are going to be covering a really important topic from a very personal perspective today on our Managing Difficult Relationships series because we've covered topics like narcissism, difficult in-laws, how to handle unrepentant people in your life. And sometimes the best way to stay out of the weeds of these toxic relationships is to just avoid them in the first place. But in order to do that, we need to know the signs or the red flags that could alert us to knowing if we are dealing with a dangerous person. So I'm Lynn Rausch. I'm a licensed professional counselor. And today, In the studio, I have a special guest. Her name is Angie Phillips. She is a friend of mine, and she actually has her own podcast called Blended, Blessed, and Always a Mess. And she's with me in the studio today to cover this critical topic of relationship red flags. So welcome to the studio, Angie. Thanks, Lynn. Totally appreciate you having me and inviting me here to talk about Red flags and hopes of raising awareness. Yes. Well, I am so glad to have you. And I want to just start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and your podcast and why you started it. Sure. So it was actually around this time last year, my husband, Eric, and I created this podcast called Blended Blessed and Always a Mess. Mm-hmm. I love really, the name, it, by the way. Well, it's true. We're yes. always a mess. Yes. But, you know, it was kind of geared around the challenges that come with blending a family. And it's extremely messy, and we're always learning. It's challenging to bring together a whole crew of kids when everybody has had their own experiences and Mm -hmm. challenges and then trying to create that family environment. And nobody talks about how hard that is Mm -hmm. and how to get through those challenges. So we really wanted to create a sense of community to bring along with us, bring bring the other families along with us on our journey, and just be real about it. And throughout that process, we have relied heavily on our faith to navigate our family dynamics. It's tough. It's really hard. And I have so appreciated the honesty that you and Eric bring to your podcast because blending families, as we know, is very common today. And many people don't know what to expect before they go into it. I'm sure you did it. No clue. (laughs) No clue at all. And that's why I often text you guys and I say, you guys are doing such a good job. Keep going. Keep talking about this because I know that people need to be normalized in these struggles. And I know just hard it can be when you're bringing two family, essentially two different family cultures together. And now you're trying to harmonize that and make it work in one family. 
Yeah, you're you're spot on. We we were clueless. We had no idea. And so, you know, at first it's really dreamy, like, oh, we're going to bring these kiddos together. And, you know, we instantly started running running into challenges that almost made us question in the beginning of like, oh, my gosh, are we doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. And I searched through a ton of content online just looking for guidance and didn't find a lot. I mean, there was a lot of different perspectives out sure. there, but not the realness, like, mm-hmm. how, how do we get through this? Mm-hmm. And we actually found that the most helpful thing for us was talking to other families that had been through it mm-hmm. and that were real, yes, open, honest. Very honest and, about yeah, it. Yeah, and they survived, so that gave us hope. Mm-hmm. With some scars, they made it, right? So um, we wanted to kind of do the same thing in return and help others find themselves, you know, that find themselves in the same challenging situation. Yeah. And in fact, uh, knowing you and Eric now for a while, you guys had me on your podcast and we talked about how in blended families that the research shows that it takes at least seven years for the stress of a blended family to go down to match the stress of a traditional family dynamic. And I know when we had that conversation, I remember the light bulb. (laughs) Your eyes got big. (laughs) You and Eric looked at each other and you were like, darn, that's why this has been so hard. It all makes sense now. That was so shocking to us. Uh It was comforting, but it was shocking. I had never heard that before. Yeah, I had never heard that it it takes seven years. We're like, oh my gosh, we haven't even... Right. It's only been how (laughs) long now? Three years. So it's like we have four more years to go. So um, I have I have reshared that perspective to so many people. They have Mm. the same reaction, of course, Mm -hmm. too. like, oh, my gosh, seven Mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. So it's just hard to keep a family intact from that traditional sense. But then trying to create a family that they're actually in the middle of their own lives and bring that together is pretty it can be pretty stressful. Mm hmm. A lot of different perspectives, different challenges, different traumas that they've been through, different parenting mm-hmm. styles, preference of even small things like the type of food. Right. right? So just you don't bring think about no. those things when you're dating and no. Thinking. So six different kids that have different mm. food preferences. Even just that alone, getting groceries sometimes could be challenging. So we did really have to dig into our faith and just keep trusting God that He brought us together for a reason and and that we would get through it. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that He did. Yes, I got to meet you a few years ago, and I've just really enjoyed getting to know you and see you and Eric and just really see how God has blessed that union and um, your desire to bring your crew together. You call them the crew. Right, because they literally are the Brady Bunch, three boys and three girls, (laughs) but they don't know what that is. So we just end up calling them the crew, Yeah, and it's stuck. That's our era, but I guess they don't know know that. They're like, what? But I want to let our listeners know that Angie and her husband, Eric, are in a small group that Shay and I lead. And in our meetings, uh, we often share with each other about difficult things that are going on in our lives. We pray for each other regularly. regularly. Uh, We support each other through hard seasons. And last fall, you and Eric shared with our group that the two of you were struggling with how to handle a situation with your oldest daughter, Hallie, You had some concerns about her boyfriend and their relationship, and I vividly remember that conversation as I know you do as well. Yeah, (laughs) that that particular small group was kind of game-changing for me a little bit in that I think in our previous small groups, I had not really openly shared my concern, and that particular weekend was... I was just super upset the entire weekend and kind of just stressed about their relationship. And Eric kind of forced me. He's Mm -hmm. way more open than I am. He was nudging you. He was like, Angie, don't Mm -hmm. you have something to share? And yeah, at this particular group meeting, I remember sharing my concerns and just having a lot of the other moms in our small group weigh in and kind of give some some insight because, gosh, that's such a hard road to navigate when your kids are in a relationship that you don't feel good about because I also don't want to lose a relationship with my daughter. So you're just kind of trying to balance out that guidance and sharing concern, but also understanding that she's 20 and going to make her own choices and you don't want to push them away, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember you particularly, Lynn, saying, maybe you could just pray that she sees what you see 
or that you see what she sees. Mm. And I'm like, hmm, that's good insight. Mm. So I prayed so hard mm-hmm. for that and to just ask God to take this off my shoulders because it was weighing on me big time. Like I felt like as a mom, I should be doing something. But then what do you do, right? right? Right. And that I was I was in control. Like there was something that I sure. could do, and mm-hmm. so I just I end up just turning over to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I remember you shared that you had a moment in your prayers with God, or maybe you were at a church service where you said, "God, I am just giving this situation over to you. It's out of my hands," and that did bring you a measure of peace and relief at the time. It did because I was literally so worn down um, because I just never felt good about the relationship. I just had that pit in my stomach and I was just so worried about her and I could see the negative effects on her mm-hmm. of the relationship. And and we just saw some things that weren't healthy. So, you know, I was brought to a place of giving this over to God and I will never forget the moment in church where it was so, so heavy, and it was one of those moments where they have you sit in silence, right, and you just pray for what's on your heart. And I literally begged God, please take this off my shoulders. I just can't worry about it anymore, and I'm just going to trust you because I'm I'm not in control. And after that quiet kind of prayer time finished, the worship team started with the song that the words are like, my eyes see you, and when I'm troubled— I'll call out to you, Lord, and you'll you'll answer me. And those words, the song, were so powerful, and I just felt a sense of peace that came over me. And I kind of just moved into acceptance mode of, okay, you know, God's in control versus me thinking that I had some power or influence over, you know, the situation because I was carrying that. But unfortunately, our entire life got turned upside down. Um, just a few, just a month or so later after that, um, when we we lost her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so this is this is a hard part of this episode because I want you to just tell me a little bit about what did happen to Hallie five months ago. Yeah, so Hallie is my oldest, so she's twenty years old, and on November twenty seventh, I will never forget it. Uh, it was Thanksgiving weekend. We had a great weekend with the kids. We had so many great memories. And Sunday was just a normal Sunday for us. Go to church, go to the gym, and then had family dinner. We're going to watch a football game and and just hang out. And I was actually chatting with Hallie that afternoon, back and forth. Um, She said she was just chilling on the couch with her boyfriends. She was watching The Office, and they were getting ready to go to her dad's to pick up her Christmas tree. Um, And that week, she had shoulder surgery scheduled on that Thursday. And I was super nervous about her getting it done um, because I was just worried that she wasn't being taken care of because she Mm -hmm. wasn't living in her house at that time. Mm -hmm. And it was also in the middle of her semester at Mizzou, so kind of timing wasn't wasn't great. So I was offering for her to come stay with me because, like I said, I wasn't sure about what kind of care she would have. And I just told her, I said, Hallie, I'll always be there for you through the highs and lows and that I loved her and she said I love you too mama and probably about 45 minutes later my aunt called me who never calls me and I answered the phone and she said I think something happened to Hallie that she thought she had been shot in the cheek and they were life flighting her and I was so confused because I was just chatting with her Mm -hmm. and I cannot describe the terror in the next few hours of not knowing what had happened to her, what kind of shape she was in. And so we just gathered all the kids and we rushed to the hospital. And we'd beat the helicopter there, actually. And that was also another horrific memory of watching the helicopter land. And But once they got her stabilized, we had received the worst news ever, that the bullet had went through her upper lip and her mouth area and straight back to her C1 vertebrae and brainstem basically just disconnecting her brain and her body and that there was nothing that they could do. Mm-hmm. And at times like that, the people that show up for you in the hospital and just to wrap their arms around you was so comforting when you're just in the absolute worst nightmare of your life. Yes. Yeah. 
I will never forget that day either because we started to get texts from Eric saying Hallie's been shot. That's all we know. She was shot in the face. There, you know, it was kind of the the details were fuzzy. And so Shay and I thought, well, you know, do we make our way over to the hospital? But we just there was just so much unknown about the situation. And I was in the kitchen and we were getting ready to leave. And uh, Eric sends a text to the group that says, I don't think she's going to make it. And I just burst into tears and I said, what, what does that even mean? I don't like what. So Shay and I hopped in the car. We went over to the hospital. We met you and your family in the waiting area and walking into the room and seeing the crew just absolutely weeping in tears, um, just sobbing, just the pain radiating in the room. It was like stepping into a nightmare. And I know for you, it was a nightmare. And since that day, your journey of grief, and it is a journey. <laughs> yes, it is. It is a journey. Um, between you and me, I know that it has taken you to some very low places, emotionally, uh, mentally, some dark places, some lonely places. And you've been so honest on your podcast about just how little control you realize that you have in life. And in many ways, this horrific tragedy has been a turning point for you to acknowledge that you have very little control <laughs> over life, and but that God is in control and the hope that we do have in this life comes through Jesus and through the promises that he gives to us. Yes, I was definitely one of those um, believers in that I could just create my own reality, right? Mm. I'm in charge of me. I'm in control. Mm. Um, I, you know, if you have the positive vibes, right? right? You work hard to do all the right things. Mm -hmm. And even, even especially with Eric and I, we felt like we we went through a lot of tough times prior to meet, meeting each other. And it was so amazing how God brought our crew together. Yeah. That you think, oh, you know, this is what we were supposed to have. This is why we went through all the pain mm-hmm. in, in our prior experiences. So when something like this happens, you are forced to realize that you're not in charge. Mm-hmm. And you just have to give it all to God. And it's more around His will be done. I mean— we are learning so much through this unbearable pain, right? And I had someone tell me once that if you allow it, grief can be a gift hmm. because you can operate at a higher level. Hmm. And I do believe that. Wow. I totally believe that. As painful as it is, mm-hmm. sometimes grief can be a gift for you to see the things that you maybe didn't see sure. or pay attention to before. And I think that even leads us into why we're doing this episode. Because one of the clarity that you, one clarity that you have gained from all of this, it seems like in hindsight, you're looking back on things in Hallie's relationship that you're realizing that was really unhealthy. There were some red flags there. And you've come to realize that the the people that your kids choose to spend time with really are going to shape their future in many ways. And so this horrific tragedy has really motivated you to speak out publicly and very honestly about red flags that you were seeing in Hallie's relationship because you want this to serve as a warning to other women or men. Um, You've gotten feedback from men and women on this that the traits that are really unhealthy are things that you want people to realize in hopes of preventing any other person, any other family from going through anything close to what you've been going through. So tell me how this got started for you. Absolutely. Well, I've always been passionate about women empowerment. I wanted to raise my girls to be strong, be independent. And shortly after Hallie passed, I think it was just two or three weeks, I've just felt like a strong need to reach out and raise awareness and educate young girls. And so where do you find young girls? TikTok. Mm-hmm. So, Social media. I just mm-hmm. sat down, right. I just sat down and within 10 minutes, I listed out 10 warning signs that we saw mm-hmm. and posted it and it blew up. So I had over a million views 
3,700 comments, Mm -hmm. uh, 12,000 people saved it. Wow. And I mean, just reading through the comments, to your point, so many people were like, uh, this applies to guys too. Mm -hmm. Or I'm in my 40s and I'm still struggling with working through the red flags and not being Mm -hmm. able to see it. So it is a a major issue, Mm -hmm. major issue in every stage of your life. Right. Not scary. Not just teenage girls. No. This is grown women, grown men that have maybe been in these types of relationships for a long time. And that's part of the insidious nature of this is that when you're in it, it's so hard to see it for yourself. And so I just really love that you've put yourself out there and clearly it's it's hitting a nerve because you're getting a lot of responses to it. Let me just ask if people want to find you on TikTok and see that video that's had over a million views, how would they find you on TikTok? You can just search for HallieBears.mom. Okay. Um, that's what we would call Hallie. Hallie Bear. Hallie Bear. Okay. Yeah. Or on Instagram. Um, it's Blended Blessed, Always a Mess. Yeah. Yeah. And so please uh, find her and follow her on those uh, platforms because you're always posting a lot of things that I think are really spot on that people need to hear. But for today's episode, I really want you to share with our listeners what it was that you noticed, that you experienced, and that you saw happen with Hallie and her boyfriend, and what it is that you'd like people to be aware of who are perhaps in a relationship and maybe they sense that something isn't right or or they don't know if it's a healthy relationship or not. But now that you have this keen hind you know, this keen insight and this hindsight, let us know kind of where you have seen these red flags show up. Absolutely. So I listened to your last episode on narcissism and that Mm -hmm. framework that you laid out um, was spot on. I'm listening to it going, yes. Yes. Check the box. Check the box. (laughs) Right. 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 Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's pretty much exactly what I saw happen with, with Hallie. Yeah. And so I think we're going to use that framework just so that we can talk about these issues today and it will kind of make sense. And if you haven't listened to that episode on narcissism, please go back and listen to the roots of narcissism. But basically, we want to describe that the five stages of bonding in a narcissistic relationship are, first of all, the narcissist decides on a target. Secondly, they devalue the other person. Then they deploy defense mechanisms. Then they create dissonance and confusion. And ultimately, they destroy the other person's sense of self. And so when we come back, we're going to talk about how you saw those red flags showing up in Hallie's relationship. We'll be right back in a jiffy. But we want to take a quick pause to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening in. If you like what you're hearing, think about texting this episode to a friend. And find us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. So I want you to tell me about how did you see this first stage of bonding play out with Hallie, this idea that a narcissist decides on a target. So I would say that Hallie was always a full-of-life young girl from little on. She mm-hmm. had an unbelievable passion for horses. She actually she loved all animals, but was especially drawn to horses. So because of all of that, she was such a big dreamer. She wanted to be a vet. She wanted to live in Texas, have a horse ranch. She was super smart. And just from a personality perspective, she was a very empathetic mm-hmm. young girl. She felt what other people felt, um, very empathic. And while that's an amazing trait to have, it also allows for vulnerability, right? Because she empathized Mm. with people. And she had some insecurities, as you could imagine, any any young girl. I feel like most young girls have some stages of of insecurity. But she just had amazing energy about her that was so unique. I mean, her her smile would just light up a room. Mm -hmm. So why would you say that her boyfriend was drawn to Hallie, given these characteristics that you're giving? So Hallie, I think because she was very empathetic to people, she was okay sitting in the suck with other people, where I'm like more all about positive vibes and I don't (laughs) want any negativity. Hallie was okay in the struggle. 
She loves psychology. So like in a weird way, I think she tried to really understand people and was kind of drawn to that a little bit. And at this particular time when um, he decided on a target, she was also coming off of a little bit of a breakup with a boy. And so just one day she was sitting alone on a bus trip and he started talking to her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I just want to acknowledge here that we are all wired for connection and for relationship. There's a Christian psychiatrist, Kurt Thompson. We quote him often on this podcast, but he says, we come into this world looking for someone who is looking Mm -hmm. for us. In other words, we innately desire intimacy and we want to be attached to someone. We want to feel seen and known and loved. And certainly this is very pronounced in the teenage years because that's a time where we are seeking out that kind of love and affirmation and intimacy. But is often the case in our immaturity, we may find ourselves in an unhealthy bond where now we're attaching to someone who maybe isn't good for us or they don't have our best interest at heart. And I think that this is a stage of development where we are making critical decisions, sometimes like for the rest of our lives, very important decisions. And we're vulnerable to attaching to people who aren't safe. Maybe they don't bring out the best in us. And I just want to mention this because when you begin to attach to a hurtful person or a narcissistic personality, what happens is that initially you think you're bonding with someone who loves you because they may shower you with affection, they may single you out and make you feel special, but before long, before you know it, after that trust and rapport have been developed, what happens next, and this takes us to our next stage, is that the narcissist moves into the stage of devaluing. So it starts with, They've decided on a target. You're going to supply me with the love that I need. I'm going to shower you with affection and affirmation. But now I'm going to move into devaluing. And tell me how you saw that develop in Hallie's relationship. This is the this is the tough part. Um, You know, Hallie was so supportive by her family with the gift of many opportunities to chase the dreams that she wanted: travel, college, just that foundation. Um, we gave her to dream big. She, I would tell her all the time, like, you can do anything you set your mind to. She really had the world at her fingertips. And when they're in a relationship that's unhealthy, over time you can see, you can see um, the subtle teardowns and you see them change. Their world kind of starts shrinking yep. in. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, little things like he would correct her on on what she would say or the need to be right about everything and kind of be in that control. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of times I would say that to Hallie, like, Hallie, he's controlling you. Mm-hmm. And she was like, did not see it or didn't want to hear Acknowledge it, right? It, yeah. Acknowledge it. Um, Hallie was at the time very into you know, style and makeup and her hair blonde. And mm-hmm. and then you see this transition into dressing really plain, hmm. no makeup, not wanting to, like, have her hair blonde, go dark. I just, not the things that she normally would gravitate towards. And it was like she was trying to fit into his box, not... Her being who she was. Do you think he was jealous? Like he didn't want her to look so pretty and enticing maybe to other people. He wanted her to appear plain and. Yeah, we were on a vacation um, one year and I had posted a picture and we were like in swimsuits right on on the beach like you normally would do and would be Mm -hmm. okay. And he got upset at that, that that was posted and Mm -hmm. just. That changes a person, right? Sure. They They lose confidence in themselves and what mm. they feel like is okay when they're putting their trust and their value into yes. someone that devalues that. Yeah. Um, a lot of times you make fun of different things that she would do, um, not celebrating things that were meaningful to her, like her 21st birthday, or I'm sorry, like her 20th birthday, mm-hmm. didn't show up for that. Hmm. 
So then you just feel like you're not worthy, right? So those big milestones where you would expect that person to be with you and celebrating with you, he's just not there. No. Not engaged. And in scenarios where she was having fun without him, that was not okay. like that. And a lot of this stuff, we sensed it, but didn't really know for sure. You Mm kind of had your intuition. You know, as a mom, you know your kids. I tell my kids all the time, I'm connected to your soul. Right. And they're like, yeah, okay, whatever, mom. But it's true. You yeah. you know how your kids are feeling because you're so connected to them. Mm-hmm. Another example is um, last year I took the girls to the Fox Theater to watch Lion King. Hallie had gone when she was like six years old. I had taken her. So it had been a long time. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. Mm-hmm. She was so like teary-eyed when it opened and we had just such a great time. But then on the way back, I could tell she was like not in a good mood. And I never could figure out because she would not share with me mm-hmm. struggles until after this all happened. I have her phone and go back and look at text messages. And he had texted her and said, well, I can tell you're in a good mood. So I won't like share this uh, information with you. But my mom and I need to talk to you about something. Oh. But I'll tell you later. You just go right. have fun. Okay. Right. <laughs> Like, no, yeah. that's not okay. Yeah. That's not okay. Those are all red flags. Mm-hmm. You should feel supported and loved, and the other person should genuinely want you to mm-hmm. be happy. Mm-hmm. That was never the case. Same situation when she's out with her friends. Mm-hmm. It was the insecurity right. he had is how they want to put yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And just, I would say, emotionally unavailable, right? Mm -hmm. That was something that we saw a lot. Like, she would share her feelings, and they would just be ignored. And so then it kind of makes you feel like you don't matter. Yeah, for sure. So did you notice this at the beginning? Like, did this start off obvious, or was it more subtle, and then you saw it get worse over time? So I would say not immediately. I mean, when I knew that... They were maybe dating. I pushed back on her initially because I didn't want her to get into a relationship when she had just broken up with this um, other guy. So that was initially my concern. Like, hey, Mm -hmm. take a little break, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and like I said, she's very empathic, so she feels things so much, right? Mm -hmm. It's at a higher volume than I feel like maybe other kiddos her age. Um, But I try to give him the benefit of the doubt. I just initially didn't feel good about it. And then I, you know, you kind of question yourself as a mom, too. Like, am I being too protective? Or, you know, am I, should I be more Mm open-minded? And, you know, you're always the, like, you think your kids are amazing, right? Mm -hmm. So I try to check myself, too. Um, But it's that tightrope that I think we walk as parents. You know, how much do you try to step in and intervene mm-hmm. and control and how much do you say, okay, they need to make their own decisions. But all the while, what is this doing to you as a mother oh as gosh. you start to see this happening? That's the most difficult part of all of it, right, is to um, know how to navigate it as a mom. Mm-hmm. I tell my kids all the time, I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I knew if I pushed too hard, Again, I'm raising independent, strong-minded girls. Mm-hmm. She would push back, right? Mm-hmm. And we had many conversations about it, many conversations about their relationship. And then she would, a wall would go up for a little while, and then she kind of come come back. And it's gut-wrenching to watch some of the, the life that you saw in your daughter get sucked out of her. Mm-hmm. And that her confidence just dwindled. And just her overall belief in herself. She pulled away from her friends. And... You feel helpless Mm because you don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as you're watching this unfold, I think what's happening behind the scenes is now that the bond has formed between them, now that they've developed trust, their lives are starting to be entangled together, right? You're starting to share experiences with them. And so you're emotionally invested in this relationship. But what happens next is that person starts to deploy defense mechanisms. And so as the relationship develops, like in a normal relationship, like if if you do something wrong or hurtful or there's a complaint, you can bring that up, you take ownership, I'm sorry, didn't realize that, how can I work on that? But in a narcissistic relationship, 
instead of taking ownership or acknowledging wrongdoing, this person gets defensive and they deploy gaslighting or scapegoating or projection where they make everything the other person's fault. And so now that person feels like they're walking on eggshells around them. Yeah, we saw a lot of that. And and you could see it happening and you could see Hallie trying to cover it up hmm. and, and mm-hmm. being protective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's many family events, whether it's birthdays or holidays, where he wouldn't make it. And so there's always some reason that Hallie would, would cover up for him or try to make him look good, right? Mm-hmm. In reality, I think he just didn't have a lot of confidence in himself. So rather than acknowledge that and try to work on it, it's just easier to pull others down into that same belief. Mm. And we had so many assumptions. We saw it, but, you know, you assume certain things are happening behind the scenes, but mm-hmm. Hallie wouldn't talk to us or her friends really about anything with which, their relationship, which, I which will is say, another red flag. Yeah, the isolating, the pulling away from family and friends. Mm-hmm. But even just general conversations that you would have in any normal relationship, like, oh, you know, so-and-so frustrated me the other night, and you're sharing with your friends, and then mm-hmm. they weigh in. Like, none of that mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. She just would not, would not share. Um, and even just more recently, before the, before we lost her, um, Hallie was trying to push him to get a different job. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, she's got big dreams and and she's in college and working part time and doing all the things. And she had shared a potential uh, job opportunity with him. And when she had like followed up via text just to see if had he taken any action on it, it was his reason was that she shouldn't have told him when other people were around, that that was a distraction. So he, like, put mm-hmm. the blame on her mm-hmm. when she's trying to right. help him. Right. His um, lack of but, initiative is actually her fault because she brought it up right. at the wrong time. Right. Mm-hmm. So just so mm-hmm. many different scenarios around that. And and I would say, too, she he was her first real solid, like, relationship, too. So that's the other challenge when kids are young. They have no comparison. Right. You hope they see examples, you know, from other people that they're around of what a healthy relationship looks like. But sometimes, yeah, there's not much. They think it's normal that this is how relationships are. Yeah. You know, for our listeners who may not know what gaslighting or scapegoating is, I just want to explain these terms because I think it's essential to understand the level of manipulation that goes on. Um, So gaslighting is when you manipulate a person with lies or false information that gets them to question their own reality. And by doing so, the gaslighter gains control over the other person. So it may look like denying that they just said or did something like, wait, you just said or did this. No, I didn't. I don't know what you're talking about. So then you're like questioning your own sanity and your own reality. And then another popular tactic is scapegoating. And it's interesting because this act- this concept actually goes back and it has its origins in the Old Testament where God instructed the Israelites to use this as a symbolic way of having them atone for their sins. So what would happen is the priest would place the sins of the people on the head of a goat, which was like the innocent sacrifice, and send it out into the wilderness. And so the idea is that this innocent animal would be the sacrifice for their sins, and it foreshadowed this atonement of what would happen someday when Jesus would come as the Messiah, the innocent Lamb of God, and take our sins upon himself. Okay, well, what does that have to do with narcissistic abuse? Well, the way this works is the narcissistic person places all the blame, all the responsibility, all of the inner hostility, anger, rage, insecurity that they have, they put it on the other person in the relationship. They scapegoat them. And by doing so, the narcissist avoids all responsibility. They use this as an excuse. They use it as a way to control the other person because now as the scapegoat, you are my object of contempt. And so you have to now work your way back into my good graces, right? And so now you've been scapegoated with the sins, so to speak, 
that the narcissist is unwilling to bear themselves. I mean, how, how's that for oh a visual gosh. picture? It's spot on. It's spot on. That's exactly what we saw happening with Hallie. And then that kind of moved into that next stage of the relationship, which creates that dissonance. Mm-hmm. And that's where we saw the confusion really happen. And yeah. the, it was destabilizing for her. You know, as I mentioned, Hallie pulled away from her family and her friends. And I felt like we were the threat, right? The family and mm-hmm. friends were a threat to their relationship mm-hmm. because we all had concerns. And then rather than him doing the work and stepping up to the plate, he just pulled her closer into his world. And she was confused. And, you know, someone had told me once, like, well, she knows that you, as her mom, will always be there for her. Mm-hmm. And you're, you'll love her unconditionally. So it's easier to pull away from you mm. because she knows you're always going to be there. Right. I'm like, oh, my god. She knows she's not going to lose your love. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I told her that all the time. Like, Hallie, I will. My door is always open, mm. whether you're 20 or you're 45. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I also felt like Hallie had to live split lives. Um, she didn't want to let on that there were struggles with anybody around her. So she never shared that, as I mentioned. Um, but at times we would get the tiny glimpses from her. But that's also makes me super sad that she had to live in that type of environment. When she was around us, it was like bubbly, full of life. And then you saw her in the other scenarios where it wasn't and she didn't feel confident about She's herself. She's more shut down, mm-hmm. more sullen. You kind of see the life kind of draining out of her. Yeah. Yeah. These red flags, I think, are really insightful. And I'm hoping that as our listeners are taking this in, they're they're evaluating. They're evaluating their relationships or if they're a parent, they're looking at how they might be seeing this play out. Um, you know, I, th- I think now as you can see how hard it is for someone who is in this, that when they're in the middle of it, it's hard for them to see these patterns for themselves. And so it must have been very scary and concerning for you as you saw these things develop. I know that you and Eric tried to talk to her. So what happened when you guys would try and have these conversations with her? Well, she would just get defensive. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, the guard would go up. And that's also super hurtful as a mom. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to lose your daughter. Yeah. In the end, we did. But in the moment, of trying to work and talk to her about the relationship, you just, she would get very defensive, even her friends. I mean, there was times they would make comments like, if my boyfriend ever said that to me, you're treating me that way, mm. I would break up with them. And they would get the same wall go up, get mm-hmm. frustrated, and then like not talk to him for a little while. So she would tune you guys out. Yeah. Yeah. She would tune everybody out. So the last stage of the narcissistic relationship is where we see the ultimate goal being to destroy the other person's sense of self, to tear them down, belittle them, control and manipulate them, and really use them to feel good about themselves and to make up for their own insecurities. And Normally, when we talk about destroying another person, we think about that in a psychological or emotional or spiritual realm. But in Hallie's case, this unhealthy relationship ultimately cost her her life. And here's where I I want you to explain in a little bit more detail what exactly happened with Hallie and her boyfriend that day. Yeah, to your point, I mean, we... We all experienced, and Allie experienced ultimate destruction. And, you know, initially, like I mentioned on that Sunday, we got the call. We weren't sure exactly what had happened because Hallie was an avid shooter. I mean, she was a hunter. She had a right to carry. Like, she was raised around guns. So, you know, initially we thought something happened when she was shooting a gun, mm-hmm. right? Never in a million years would we have thought that you know, he actually had the gun five feet away from her and it went off and shot her. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, just when we heard that, it was just like. Yeah. So my understanding is that he blatantly ignored all the four main gun safety rules that every person who owns a handgun should know and practice. And had he employed any of those, Hallie would be alive today, right? That's you're totally right. I mean, it was it could have been avoided 
if those gun safety rules would have been followed. That's why I'm so motivated and fired up to spread this information to as many people as I can, because it's such an issue. We lose so many kids every year to simple gun safety mm-hmm. rules that were just avoided. Um, and I, I wouldn't want another family to experience the level of pain and trauma that our family has has gone through. And it just, it's crazy to think about because if you, in my mind, if you truly love someone, you would want to protect them with everything that you had. Mm -hmm. And so for us, it's still, we still struggle with understanding how, how this even happened. Yeah. um, Five feet away from her. Yeah. Um, it's truly so, But if you are very mm-hmm. self-serving and you're thinking about you, mm-hmm. I mean, then I guess it can easily happen. You're not very careful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, you know, one of the aspects of this With You in the Weeds podcast is that we want to understand human nature and relationships and the root causes of problems in our life from a biblical perspective, because the Bible is so full of of wisdom. A lot of times I hear people say, well, I've gotten really bad advice from, you know, people who are referring to the Bible. Well, you know what? It's not the Bible's fault. (laughs) (laughs) It's our fault. We may have some pretty faulty or skewed interpretations, but there's a passage of scripture that I have meditated on many times over the years as I've encountered narcissists And as I've worked with people who find themselves in a very toxic or even abusive relationship that has many of the red flags that we're describing today, and I think that this passage of Scripture is truly one of the clearest pictures and explanations of everything that we've just described, and it comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And just listen to this description. It says, Realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, slanderers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such people as these. But evil people and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. Now, why do I take the time to read this passage? I want people to understand that narcissistic behavior has been around for a long time And it is predicted to escalate and to grow in our world. And so if you haven't listened to our episodes on narcissism, please go back and listen because we get much more in the weeds about this sinful pattern of behavior. But mainly I want people to understand that the Bible warns us. It it cautions us and it gives us advice about these types of relationships by telling us, avoid such men as these because they will proceed from bad to worse. And so when we turn to God's word for wisdom in our lives and our relationships, we will find discernment to have healthy boundaries, to look for healthy people, to turn away from people in relationships that are destructive or harmful, to have the eyes to see these red flags that we've been talking about so that we don't succumb to manipulators or controllers And to do that, we really do need to study God's word, have it in our hearts, infuse it in our lives so that we have the eyes to see and that we can adjust our behavior and our responses accordingly. So Angie, what last words would you want to say to people who 
maybe find themselves in a relationship like this, or maybe they have a loved one who's in a relationship and they can see these red flags from a distance? I would say that we as humans oftentimes put our worth in other humans and we're all flawed. Mm -hmm. So my message would be to put your self-worth in God's hands. Mm -hmm. It only matters what God thinks and to live in a way that honors him. And I'm even more focused on that now than ever to ensure our kids have a solid foundation set in understanding God's love. And I'm still learning that myself. Yeah, we all are. Sure. And, and, you know, especially in going through something so tragic as losing a child, I've really had to learn by faith, right, and lean in more than I ever have. And honestly, I cling to it every day just to get through. And I think we need a strong faith and a strong foundation for our kids and to be able to show them that so they feel the power of Jesus to lean on. Because like I said, we're only, we're human and we can only do so much as moms even, Mm -hmm. right? And so providing that foundation to our kids, I think will give them a stronger sense of self with self with God's love rather than relying on a boy or, you know, a friend network to give them that. Yeah. I I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think the best gift that we can give our children is to help them find their identity in God, that they have value, dignity, and worth, and that is rooted and grounded in their creator. And certainly we get needs met and, and, you know, we form friendships and those are fulfilling and we do look for a life partner um, that's hopefully healthy and that's going to come alongside us and love us. But I love that song that says, I am who you say I am, because our kids today are constantly bombarded with voices that devalue, that tear them down, that get them to compare, that have them look for cheap substitutes for what true sacrificial love is, and that all is going to start from our identity as a child of God, and we need constant reminders of that. So, Angie, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate your honesty, your openness, and we both as Christian wives and mothers who love their children so much, we want this information to be spread far and wide, and hopefully it will help others as they look for those red flags. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Blended, Blessed, and Always a Mess. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at blendedblessedalwaysamess.com. Reach out to us on any of our social channels. We would love to hear from you. Have a great week.